Thank you. Um, didn't say anything? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 7 o'clock California time. And, uh, you know, and yesterday we, we, we flew out to what's it, Little Rock real quick to do an interview. And then our flight got canceled on the way back. So we rented a car last night and uh, drove here. And, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Appreciate that, but <laughs> five minutes into the drive, I get pulled over. Man, I haven't been pulled over in years, and, and I, I might have been going 90. Um, I, you know, I was just like, man, I got to get to this conference. I don't know how we're going to get there, and you know, it was new car, so you don't know how fast you're really going. <laughs> you, you know, it just, uh, it was wrong. It was wrong. I mean, I saw, you know, I looked down. I was like, well, I'm going, you know, 90. So I slowed down and then got pulled over. So, but he reminded me I was going 92. And uh, <laughs> so I'm just confession time since, you know, Jason did his confession. Here's mine. Um, but he let us go. <laughs> that was awesome. I know, in Arkansas, like state trooper, it was all bad, you know. I, I, I was thinking, you know, you one of them Chinese from California, you know, and uh, so I'm thinking, there's no way I'm getting out of this one, but you know, we got out and so here we are. I, um, I knew he would have mercy on us. Really? Who would not have mercy after hearing your flight got canceled and you're taking a rental car driving to Dallas? I thought that was good enough An to get Arkansas off. An guy wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, they, you just always hear about those guys, you know, like, like in the movies. That <laughs> they don't like people from California. Anyways, uh, here we are. Um, that's the end of my confession. I haven't sinned other than that. Um, <laughs> no, it's just been a crazy trip, and, and, and yet I, I thank God that he got us here, and I don't know, even that video from Jason kind of got me thinking because, you know, that's when uh, we, you know, we used to hang out with Jason a little bit. And I, and I think about, wow, it was during that period of time. And I don't think I ever seriously, you know, just kind of asked him, hey, what's going on in your life? Like, how is your walk with the Lord? You just make assumptions. And I, I, haven't we all done that where you were with a couple and, you, you know, and you were hanging out with them for so long and you, you didn't think to ask. And then suddenly that week, everything fell apart and he's gone. And you're like, I, I didn't even think to ask. I just assumed everything was good. And sometimes even on your church staff or wherever it may be. And so I guess when I watched that video, the, the, the thought that came to my mind is don't just get up there and assume, oh, these are the leaders, Oh, these are the guys that are setting the pace and they've got their walk with the Lord. You know, their marriages are strong and this and that and everything else. And just make these assumptions. Because, you know, like, like, uh, like Jesus said to the church in Sardis, he goes, you, you've got this great reputation. You have a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. That's Jesus speaking. Okay, everyone thinks you're a certain way, but are you really that way? And uh, man, I gotta just throw it out there and remind you, like this, this isn't just about a marriage conference. 
uh, you know, or, or getting a marriage ministry together. Not to belittle that, but it's, it's, it's kind of the whole theme of our book is, man, this is great. Yeah, let's enjoy each other. We were having a great time, and, and, and we want these happy marriages, and, and I hope you're having a great marriage, but there's something so much bigger going on. Like right now, there's a being up there who's looking at me right now. Like he notices me, and he knows what's going on in my heart. If I just want to be liked by you, if I want to be respected by you, or if I'm really here to say, no, he's so amazing, and we're going to face him. And, and he's done everything for us, and he's so much bigger than our marriage. That, that this book, this book is not about marriage, okay? There's a couple verses in it about marriage, and yet we've got hundreds of marriage books, okay? This book is about him, and this book is about a marriage between us and him, and even Ephesians 5 is not about this. It's, about, it's not the miracle. The mystery isn't how a man and woman can become one. The mystery is Christ and the church. How in the world can God and I be connected right now? How in the world can one day he and I be married and have this marriage supper of the Lamb? That's what this book is about. And so, so even as, as we as leaders need to be very careful, we're walking on sacred ground that we don't make marriage between a man and woman everything. This is a tiny, tiny piece that might give the world a glimpse of this future marriage that's to come. Mm. And so I got to ask you, you know, is this right? I don't want to just assume, oh, you know, these are leaders. Of course they're all in God's Word. You guys, are, are you really... Are you alone, alone reading this book backwards, forwards, over and over again to figure out for yourself what is emphasized in this book? Mm -hmm. What is obvious and what is emphasized? Okay, that, that, that's so important this day and age because there's so many false prophets, so many false teachers out there that can pick one word and exegete the heck out of it, you know, and say, so this means, you know, and pull a whole theology around it. But I'm just saying, just read it. Read it for yourself over and over and over again and say, what is emphasized? Because you can go to the Christian bookstore right now mm -hmm. and support any view you want. If there's one thing I learned in seminary, it's that I can make this book say anything I want. You know, throw out a Hebrew word no one else knows better, you know, and just make it say it. Pull one verse out of context, but when you read it over, my question is, what does it emphasize? What is obvious? Mm -hmm. And this is obviously not a book about marriage. Okay? So while I believe in marriage and I love marriage and, I, you know, and God created marriage, let's be careful also not to over-focus on the family. Yeah, or allow marriage to become something that ends up being an idol in our life, right? Especially when you're in marriage ministry and you're talking to married people and you're dealing with married problems, it's very easy to lose sight of our greater purpose and how many times the Lord has to tell people all throughout the Old Testament and again in the New Testament, but he's constantly saying, return to me, don't forsake me, like it says in Jeremiah 2, the spring of living water. My people have forsaken me and they're going after all these other things. And in the way that we counsel and push people in their marriages, it isn't so that they can be so perfectly united with one another. It's so that they can be right 
with Christ, and that is what's going to unite them. Yeah, I, I mean, when we were talking about writing this book, it was in my head, I'm going, okay, do we really need 6,004 marriage books? You know, do, do, do I really need to write another one? But, but the point was, gosh, it's, it's, it's kind of a marriage book, and it's kind of not. I mean, it's about marriage in light of eternity, in light of this bigger picture. Um, you know, the, the passage that really... Um, uh, I've been having a hard time with words lately. Um, it's bad for a speaker. Uh, Was pivotal in your thinking? Pivotal. No. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's just uh, the main verse that was, yeah, 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 pivotal's good. Um, <laughs> gosh, this has been happening just recently where obvious words are missing mm -hmm. from my vocabulary. But it's the passage that I go, man, first of all, if you just wrote down, go through the Gospels and write down every time Jesus mentions family or husband and wife and marriage, just write down those verses and just start reading them. I think you'd be shocked, okay, at what he says about husband, wife, you know, mother, children. You know, it's, it's interesting what we emphasize and what this book emphasizes. But there was a passage that, that, that really um, motivated me to, uh, you know, in, in, in writing this book. And it's, it's out of 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, he says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul, who's the one who says husbands love your wives, also writes those who are married should live as though they're not. Okay, I, we didn't see that verse as a theme of many marriage books. I'm like, hey, let's do this. Those who are married should live as, and I get it, there are some people who are married and totally live like they're not in, in a sinful way, but, but, but sometimes we just swing this pendulum the other way. And, and what Scripture is saying, there's something so much bigger than your marriage. And the goal in life is to secure undevoted, undivided devotion to the Lord. How can we get ourselves so that we are totally devoted to Him? And, and it talks about how the single person can be so focused, and that's exactly what we see. That's what we've been seeing, is we see these singles that are radical for the Lord, and then they get married. 
Then they get married, and, and, and it just becomes so inward. It's like, well, we're dating, and we're going you know, we're, we're to make a big decision, and so we don't want to get too involved in ministry. We want to stay focused and, and make sure I'm marrying the right person. And then, well, we just got married, so the first year of marriage really should be about us. We don't want to get too involved in marriage because that'll, that'll ruin things. You know, and then because that first year is just about us, you're pregnant. And, and then it's like, well... We, we, let's just get this first baby. I mean, we can't be too involved in ministry while we're having this baby. And, you know, in those first couple years, we're adjusting to, to the new life with, you know, little, little do-goo-goo, you know. And then, uh, and then, you know, after that, it's, you know, it just goes on and on. Let me get my kids through adolescence. And, you know, this is when we really got to hunker down as a family. And it just goes on until finally, okay, now they're out of the house. Now we can serve the Lord. It's like, really? Is that God's intention that, okay, during those single years we can, or or can there be this new generation of, of people who still live by faith? I understand it's more difficult. I understand as a single person, you go, man, if I die, I die. Big deal. Not that many people care, you know, and, and, and they don't depend on me. And that's the way you start feeling like, you know what, I'm, I'm just in charge of me. And so if I get hurt, I get hurt. But then suddenly you're married, and I go, okay, she depends on me. Now my life is somehow more valuable. Or oh, now the kids depend on me. And what will it be like without a dad? And yet, you guys, we, we can't think like that. Mm. Man, we have to surrender every moment in our life. This book is about people who had insane faith that just says, you know what, I just go wherever God calls me to go. I do what I need to do. Where is that passage in Luke where it's talking about the banquet when everybody was invited in? Is it 14? 14, I was just reading it on the plane on the way here, and I was struck by, you know, that passage when when Jesus is saying, for those who don't hate their father, their mother, their wife, their children, they're not worthy to be my disciple. Read Luke chapter 9. Read, Read Luke chapter 14 again to refresh your mind of just how strong Jesus speaks to us about being willing to let go of our lives and really surrender our lives to him. Um, It says in verse 20, -hmm. yeah, so this is the parable of the great banquet when, you know, the master is telling his servants to go out and invite everyone. But in verse 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, you know what? Go out quickly to the streets. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. You guys know the story. I I will fill up my house. There will be people who will say yes to me. But it's only a few verses later, down in verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I was thinking, man, there it is right there, that excuse. Well, I I just got married. I can't not right now. The other person is like selling his land. He's got a business deal going on. And God is like, are you kidding me? And Jesus is like, listen, your love for your family, for your husband, your wife, your children, that has to be lost in your love for me. 
you have to be willing to give up everything for me. That is going to mean that sometimes we're going to make decisions now together, we were just talking about it, that even are going to be uncomfortable and hard for our children. It's going to place them in a position of, wow, my parents love God more than me. And that is what we want to communicate with our lives. You know what? As hard as it is, we are God's and we are here for Him. So there should be many, many things in our life that don't make sense to them in their little minds or don't make sense to those that don't belong to Christ because they're thinking, why are you guys doing that? Why are you giving up your own, your home, your comfort, your space, your time, whatever it is? It's because we know our hope is not for this life. We belong to Christ. Our life belongs to him. We have a mission. If you don't, I think I'm just going to go straight into the amazing race. You do. Okay. I just. (laughs) (laughs) I told her, you just say what you need to say and I'll work around it. (laughs) It's just, just like life. It's rare. If I have a moment where my brain is functioning, I need to take it. Uh, um, one, one of my high schoolers and I, we love the show, The Amazing Race, so we watch it on our little Hulu computer at night when all the little ones are in bed. And after a, like a season or two, I was telling her, I am so struck at the like, spiritual significance of this show because it's teams of two, if you've ever, never watched it, that the two, you know, sometimes it's husband and wife, it's brothers and sisters, whatever, but teams of two, they are on this race. They have to get from all these different places around the world, different checkpoints that they have to get to. The last one there gets eliminated. So, I mean, they are booking it. They are having to complete tasks together. There's work for them to do. There's assigned tasks. They rip it open. Okay, you got to do this. I got to do this. Go, you know. And when they get to the checkpoints, they're like so relieved. They can, they can, high five for a minute, take a temporary moment for victory, but then back in the race, next day, what are we doing? We gotta keep going. And I'm like, that is what our marriages should look like. We're in a race, that's, not even, that's a biblical example even Paul uses. Run this race with endurance, throw off the sin that entangles you and keep going, running, because you have a goal in mind. For these people, they wanna win a million dollars, but we get something so much better than a million dollars. We get to get to the end of the race and finally get into the presence of God and look at each other and say, we made it, we did it, we're tired, we're worn out, we sacrificed some stuff and it was hard work, but then God says, well done, good and faithful servants. That's our goal. And if we live our lives with that in our mind, we are going to be doing things differently. We're not gonna argue as much. Those teams that argue and bicker and fall apart, they're out of the race. But those teams that work together and remember what they're doing and remember why they're doing it and they have the goal in their mind, they just are united. And it's like, yes, let's get on the race. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the whole idea of, is there a point to your marriage? Is there a point to your life? 
beyond just loving yourself and enjoying yourself, but are you here for something? And that's why I love that analogy that she brought up at some marriage conference when she said it. She was like, man, I feel like our life is this long episode of the amazing race, you know, that, that, that we don't even have time to celebrate the victories. It's high five, and let's go on to the next one, and then one day we're going to collapse into his arms. We're going to cross that finish line, and, and that's the idea is this goal you know, I love what Paul tells Timothy. This is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite passage, 2 Timothy 4, you know, at the end of his life, when Paul says in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Mm. Or Paul, at the end of his life, he goes, I did it. I finished the race. I, I completed everything. I fought the fight. Man, I've been fighting my whole life for this, and now I'm going to receive my reward. See, if I didn't really believe in that day, then we would be living our lives completely different right now. But what does it mean for me to actually love my wife? It doesn't mean I do all the things on earth that's going to make her life most comfortable and most fun. Loving her means, man, she's going to stand before God one day, and I want to help her do everything she was supposed to do on this earth. God created her for a reason, and he created us together for a reason, and I want her to stand before God. I think about that day. Man, Lisa is going to stand before him. And, and, and if, I, if, if he would say to her on that day, well done, Lisa, and I had some part of this. Man, to me, that's real love. And to have that vision of what are we going to do on this earth, we're supposed to make disciples. And I, I just feel like sometimes in marriage ministry, we're, we're, we're concerned about them being happy or them getting along. But when we're writing our book, one of our, the thoughts in our mind is there are a lot of happy and worthless marriages, okay? Happy and worthless, that's great, you get along. Way to go, that's cool, you got a cute family, all neat, you know, but you're worthless. You, you do nothing for the kingdom. There's a war going on and you, you huddle inside your little gated community and you know, with your kids with the helmets on, you, you just, you're, there's a war outside of your house that's going on and we're supposed to be raising up soldiers. There's something bigger than your family. And, and I'm not saying that to destroy all of your fun and that's not what Paul is, is saying or what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, you, you don't get it with everything. When you give up your life, when you lose it, that's when you find it. Because we're, we're going, man, we've been married over 20 years. We've got seven kids. And, man, I, we never fight hard. I, like, I'm like, why do we never fight? And, uh, you know, and we start arguing about that. And, and you know, <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, I realize it's like, you know what? Because it's like the amazing race. Because we have this mission, it's like we don't have time to fight. We don't have time for this. There's something bigger going on. The glory of God is at stake, okay? We, can, we, we cannot bicker about this. Mm -hmm. There's something bigger going on. Remember, we're, we're trying to cross this finish line. We're trying to win this race, okay? So we got to get over this because we're about something bigger. And we just find so many people, I think they lose sight of the mission and that's what causes their marriages to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And yet when you work together, like any sports team, 
You know, when you're actually about the championship and you win that championship, what happens? The whole team just starts hugging and dogpiling and everything else, and you just see this uniting, this, you know, this love between them and this unity. And that's not because they sat around the locker room and held hands and said, hey, let's get really close to each other. No, they just started pursuing the mission. And as they pursued the mission and they see things happening, this just naturally, this is the byproduct of living missionally. That's what you gotta understand. This is why this happens on every mission trips. You know, couples hook up, you know, people, people you know, start just loving all these other people on the mission team. Why? Because they were serving together. And what's destroying couples is too much of just focusing on one another. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're not meeting my needs. I don't mean your you know, and yet what scripture teaches is it's not about me looking at myself and what I need. In fact, in Second Timothy three, he warns how in the in the latter days, you know, people are gonna be lovers of themselves. It's like what pleases me. And looking back in my years of marital counseling, man, counseling couples for twenty something years and you look back and you look at mistakes you made and I realized, gosh, they, were, they just kept looking at each other. They didn't really look at God. They didn't really look at his mission. And I didn't turn them there. I just kept listening to why she's so horrible and why he's so horrible. You know, and there were times I'd throw my hands in there and I'd go, you guys have both convinced me. I wouldn't want to be married to either one of you. I, I would just say that. I'd go, seriously, he's, he's terrible. You're terrible. You're, I, I hate being with either one of you. <laughs> I've said that. I, this is terrible to me. Okay, so you guys both, you, you, you're great lawyers. You, you. The point is, you know, it's like a guy emailed me the other day, why don't you give me more of your time? And I'm like, you know what? It's because that's the last thing you need is more attention. You know, first of all, you're single, and no one depends on you right now. You're not discipling anyone. Man, you know how many people depend on me? God created us in such a way that we're supposed to be givers, and there's people all around the world that are dependent, and you, you know, you, you, you only depend, you, you don't have anyone. You're just about you. And then you try to gather more people to focus on you. Let's talk about you and your problems again. But if you would actually love him, with all your heart, soul, and mind. If you would actually look around and see all the needs in the world right now, if you would actually consider what it, what it looks like when God says, depart from me, I never knew you, and a person going to hell forever, and actually caring about that rather than yourself, you, you, you'd be blown away how much life that would give you um, to focus on someone else and to focus on the mission. I mean, you'd be amazed at how that brings you together. I, I, I mean, I just recently heard as of Tuesday night, you know, like these sociologists are saying now that this is by far, in all of human history, from what we can tell, the most narcissistic culture ever. Let me build a page around me and have everyone look at it and tell them how much they like me. 
Like, we've never had anything like this where everyone's about me and how do I look on this picture? Oh, if I do this, it makes me thinner. You know, it's just a, oh, you know what I'm talking about. And let me get this picture just right so everyone sees me. We've never been in such a narcissistic culture and we've never had so many depressed people. The two go together. The more you look at yourself, the more depressed you're going to get. Seriously, and every year it gets worse, right? And, 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 and so we wonder what's going on, and, and that's why, man, the answer is not, let's just focus on this, and this will fix everything. It's like, no, let's take our eyes off of this. There's something bigger going on, and if we focused on his mission, you'd be amazed how the byproduct of this comes together, and you've got this family that's just really focused on the mission. When I look at our kids, you know, we got seven kids, live a crazy life, but um, it's been amazing. Um, I, I don't want to dare take credit for anything. I mean, if anything, I've made decisions that have been so difficult because I think, oh man, I think the Lord's leading me to do something and this is going to be so hard for Lisa to hear. She's not going to like this initially, um, but I love her. And so yeah, and yesterday I have to say in in the radio interview, it's interesting because I he kept pressing and asking me like, how does Francis show love to you? You know, and I I could really sense that he's looking for like he brings me flowers every week and he feeds me chocolates, you know, <laughs> at 6 p.m. every evening. Um, and I was like, are you are you talking about practically okay? And I didn't answer the question well because you know you always think of the best answer after, right? But as we're driving from Arkansas to Texas, I said, man, I wish I would have said, you know how Francis loves me? By loving God more than me. He loves me by loving God so much that he does ask me to do difficult things. And he does push me and our family to believe that God is bigger and better than this world. And even though a flower is nice now and then, I would far rather him keep me focused on eternity. That is how you love your wife well, is lead your home in that way. Because even though there's the struggle and there's the sin and the pride and the fear and all those things that are inside of my heart, those things slowly get put to death and they come to the surface and the Lord removes a little bit of it each time. And that's what I'm most thankful for. Yeah. And, and that's what's going to fulfill Lisa. It's not me. I'll never meet all of her needs. Um, I have no, kidding, way no. too she's many. Not, she's not 80. <laughs> Here's a Coke. Go to Target. And just have um <laughs> But, you know, like the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, and, and trying to teach my kids, look, you've got to depend on him. You, there's times we'll make decisions that aren't fun, that, that it's part of denying ourselves and trusting. 
you know, that we're laying up rewards and anything we sacrifice here on the earth, it's going to be worth it in the future. And I know you can't see it right now, but it's, it's there. And I can't promise you that we're going to have the most comfortable, easy life here. I mean, when I read this book, it's about people who live by faith till the end, even though they never saw the promise on the earth, but they knew something better was coming. That's what this book is about. It's not about us in the here and now. It's about the future and getting them focused on that. And, 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 and I see the fulfillment in them when, when we take some risks, when we deny ourselves and we see the result of that. I mean, just the other night we were walking with a, a couple that we love so dearly that, you know, that they were getting married and, and they were asking us questions like, well, we're just about to get married and we're thinking about taking this homeless lady into our, I mean, is that insane? And we're like, yeah, it is but do it, you know, like we've been so scared of so many things along the way where we'll wrestle, like do we do it, do we do it, and and, and we're always terrified, I mean we've done some scary things, but each time as we started recounting the early days, and it was so fun, we just walked year by year, the different things we did, and we just thought, what if we didn't do that, we would have missed out, like I'm so glad we just tried, we pursued Man, this book is clearly about action, about let's stop talking and listening to another podcast and reading another book without doing anything. Let's assume, people always say, well, you know, we were asked that yesterday. How do we know God's will? I'm like, read this thing. Man, you know, true religion is to care for the widows and orphans. Go adopt a kid. Well, I don't know if God told me to do that. Yes, he did. You know, like, why... My question is, why wouldn't we assume adoption? Unless we hear a voice from heaven telling us to stop. But we do everything backwards. You know, we, we, we go, well, I don't really want to do that, so I need to hear a voice from God. I'm going, no, you heard a voice from God. Now start doing it. Start pursuing it. Unless you're a voice saying, stop. Don't. Don't adopt, you weirdo. What, what are you thinking? Isn't that the voice we should be listening for? Because he already said something else. Then I better act upon this in some way. I'm not saying everyone should adopt, but maybe we should. I am saying it is ridiculous that there are like a million, literally a million Christian churches in America, and there are half a million foster kids that no one wants. Does that make any sense to you? So it's, it's like if every other church would adopt one child, but that's just too big. Just, I'm just going, this is ridiculous. This is getting silly now. I mean, I, how bad does it have to get before we finally realize, man, there's something so wrong with the way we've been doing things and the focus. And again, I'm saying, look, I'm not trying to ruin everything or put this pressure or this weight. I'm just going, you're missing out on life. You're so missing out on life because that, that's what we're saying. Like, can you imagine if we didn't do this? How, how lame our life would have been if we didn't do this or this or this or this because God rewards and he blesses and he gives you this life that's to the full. I mean, most recently, even, even uh, you know, eight months ago, she was uh, pregnant with our sixth kid. You know, we have a three-month-old, you know, and, and, you know, we have a college-age daughter. We had, we had all sorts of... And, and as she's pregnant, we find out about this gal, you know, who needs to be adopted. And, but she's 16, you know, and comes from a pretty bad background. And it's like, oh, 
oh man, what do we do? You know, and it's like, gosh, this is not good timing. You know, she's pregnant. This is not a good time to ask for anything. You know, it's just, <laughs> and yet, as we, it's, it's kind of like, well, what do we, what if we don't do it? You know, what's going to happen to her and this and that? And, and to take her into our home, and I can't imagine life without her now. So we're in this process of adoption. I mean, we are crazy about this girl. And I even remember, you know, it was even just a few weeks into it, and a social worker comes over and says, you know, how long is she allowed to stay in your house? And, and when I was able to just look at her, and it was just, it just flowed out of my mouth, like, honey, you can stay here as long as you want. I will treat you, I will take you as one of my daughters. You see how I treat my girls? I want you to be one of my girls. And you know what? Everything I own would be yours. You would be just like them, no different. I, I, I want you as my own, you know, as long, it's, it's up to you, but you can stay here as long as you want, honey. I will take you as one of my daughters. And as I'm saying that, man, I just had this moment as it's coming out of my mouth. Man, I, I can't even explain because somehow simultaneously it's like God was speaking to me going, Francis, don't you hear yourself? Don't you hear what you're saying? That's everything I've been saying to you. Man, why is it that you still feel insecure sometimes? Why is it, why do you think you're able to just look at this person and say, look, I want to adopt you, everything that's mine is yours? It's because I put that spirit in you and it's because that's what I'm saying to you, Francis, everything that belongs to my son, Jesus, you see him, that's yours, all the riches and everything, I take you as my own son. And there was just this moment of security of this reminding God, thank you for this spirit. Thank you that I get to kind of represent you here on earth and give that picture and, and just for my own life. And now that I just adore her and can't imagine life without her, I go, man, we would have missed out. Again, we would have missed out. Was it terrifying? Was it timing good? It's never good timing. Okay, that's something we learn. You just do things. You just pursue things. And yeah, you might make mistakes. I, you will make mistakes. But you know what? You're guaranteed to make a mistake by doing nothing. Okay, so at least you have a chance by acting and trying something. But by sitting there and having your cute little family, I, you're making mistakes left and right. The issue is assume action. Assume that when you hear the word of God, you do something. And I feel like we've thrown so much at you in, in half an hour, but I'm still mad about the drive. So um, <laughs> can I just, I know we just jumped everywhere, but I just, I, I really want to pray right now that something sinks in. Um, and I really want to believe in this moment as I talk to this God that I've been talking about. Let's just bow our heads and recognize that he's in heaven and he sees everything that's going on in my heart and father you know you know my frustrations of just i don't get what we call church here in america and what we call christian here in america lord and sometimes we just have our own version of the american dream rather than really denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following you and trusting that if we lose our life, we'll really find it. Mm -hmm. And so God, I just pray that somehow your word, your scriptures would just sink into our hearts, sink into these leaders. Bless them, Father, for what mm -hmm. they do.
and yet God help them to guard just the sacredness of what we do that we're to turn people towards you and your mission yes, God. and God when they find you you are like that great treasure you do fill to where our cups are overflowing and we're not strangling one another needing life we get everything we need from you and we have plenty we're overflowing pouring out to others to our spouses to our kids to our neighbors to the lost around the world because you are that good so God give tremendous wisdom please to all of us and how do we lead self-centered people mm -hmm. into your presence yes. to believe that by focusing on you everything else turns around it's the key to everything you are everything Lord so have your words sink in through your spirit in Jesus name amen, amen. hey guys you got one second awesome um, what a, great, what a great way to start a day, and I hope, uh, I hope that messed with you uh, a little bit. Okay, it should have. If you, <laughs> uh, come talk to me at the break if that didn't mess with you. Um, so you, you guys are like this international couple of mystery, Vietnam, writing books, jet-setting all over the world, adopting kids. Do you ever just sit and just rest and enjoy each other? Does that ever happen, or is it all 24-7 uh, full-on mission? I, I think we do. <laughs> I, 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 we, I think we totally do. We've, We've got some great counselors back. Yeah, yeah. 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 You yeah. answer it because I don't yeah. want to say, oh, I'm a great yeah. husband. No. I <laughs> he is a great husband. Um, yes, just last week, we, you know, our older daughters, they're old enough to stay home with the little ones now, so it's like, let's go down to that little sushi place and get a crunchy roll <laughs> and some edamame for a dollar. No, I mean, like, we, yes, we, okay. we rest and enjoy each other and have fun, and sometimes I get to come on a trip with him. A lot of times he'll take yep. one of the children with him so they can bond and have a good time. Yeah, even last night, I mean, it was lame driving in the car. But even then, I was like, you know what? I just looked at her and go, there's no one else I'd rather be driving to Dallas with right now. <laughs> like, it's still fun. It's still cool. And, yeah. um, and during the drive, just the whole time, just thanking God, going, God, this is so cool. This was like my dream to have a life partner like this. And so even in the silly, mundane things, to still be able to enjoy is so cool. But yes, we definitely okay. get our time okay. So I want you guys to hear that. So you guys had 20 years? How long have you been? 21. 21. So you had a big anniversary trip. Yes. Uh, is that, that happened or is that coming up? Are you guys overseas? Oh, last year for our 20th. Okay. You tell, them, tell them about what you did for your 20th. Oh, yeah. We just said, you know, the best, the most fun we've ever had are the times when most fulfilling are not our vacations, you know, to Hawaii or whatever, but it's it's those times when we got to serve somewhere, so we decided, hey, let's go to, let's go to Africa. Let's, let's, find, you know, let's just let's serve somewhere. Let's, let's find a new ministry that we can support and, and give our lives to. And, uh, and so we went and did that, and man, it really was. It was just, it was the greatest trip, and there's awesome. been so much fulfillment from it. After. Awesome, okay, incredible uh, kind of joy and connection in the middle of ministry. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing for our 20th. If I was in your church, you'd tell me how you feel about this, okay? So uh, Pam and I have been on a really busy, really, really busy run, uh, planning this conference, um, 
and I, we almost did, I almost, without even knowing what you guys did, we I almost kind of pulled the trigger and I was going to surprise her <laughs> with a mission trip. Surprise. Um, and so <laughs> instead, I said, hey, babe, what if we went to Iceland for a week and just drove around the island and we're just together. And she said, that sounds great. Book the trip. And then I found out <laughs> what you guys had done. I told Pam, you married the wrong man. I'm so sorry. Um, it, was, I mean, it happened just like that. So I'm in your church and I say, hey, Francis, uh, we've been running hard and we're just going to go be together for a week, um, you know, and just enjoy each other. What, what would your, how would you, how would you feel about that if you were my pastor? Yeah. I mean, so much depends on who you are and knowing the people and going, man, no, you really have been working hard. Yeah. And yet, you know, because there's so many people who say that. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying yeah. Yeah. there's so many people yeah. who say that, sure. especially in the church culture. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. exhausted. Oh, yeah. I only had 40 hours of family time. You know, it, and uh, yeah. some of the senior pastors know what I'm talking about. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it gets to a point where oh, it's only through discipleship. Some people really are burnt out. They really are just going nuts. But I think more and more, there's fewer and fewer of those people. Yeah, I agree. And so I would say Absolutely. I need to know them okay. um, before just giving an answer of, yes, take another vacation. Yeah. You know, for some people, I'm like, man, how about you work for a week? Awesome. Um, awesome. <laughs> okay. Great. Hey, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, wanted to, I want you to know, like, you're, just that thought that, that Pam and I are going to stand at the gates and she is going to look at me and go either I'm ready or, man, you, you failed me on this side, uh, was just, it wrecked me and it motivated me. And as I think about Psalm 90, 12, Lord, teach us to number our days right so we may gain a heart of wisdom that absolutely applies uh, to marriage. We understand how short this side is and how long the other side is. We love each other differently or we're on mission differently. It was a huge help to me. I hope it's a huge help to you. If you guys would, give these guys a uh, quick hand. Thanks so much. Thank you.